Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with the first Longhorn Blitz of 2023. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for your listenership and support of everything we've got going on here at Longhorn Blitz. I am Jeff Howe. Not going to waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I, I got to I just not to get too far off topic with the listening audience for our first show of the year, but at one of those dad moments yesterday where it seemed like my daughter aged about three years in the span of 15 minutes, <laughs> went and got her ears pierced yesterday. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Didn't cry, didn't fidget, didn't even want to hold my hand, just went in there, got it done, got out, and was a trooper. And I'm like, wow. wow. His nails. Yeah. yeah. Big yeah. girl moment. She's four, four mm-hmm. going on 14. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was good, good, good New Year. So, and we are all here. Uh, he managed to avoid the holiday travel nightmares that uh, everybody else had to deal with. Thank God. Can we shout out Delta Airlines? Yeah, Rod? shout out to Delta, man. Yeah, great customer service. Got us home, safe and sound. Whether he's shouting out his favorite airline, talking pop culture, whatever, he is a Renaissance man. He wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge each and every weekday from three to seven on the Horn. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice 
of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and the year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Feels good to be back. Uh, Happy New Year to all you guys listening and, of course, to you guys. Definitely feels good to be back and uh, be rocking and rolling for the New Year. Real quick, before we get into it, Two quick pieces of business. Get over to Horns 24-7. All of your All-American Bowl Week coverage is right there with Mike Roach, uh, our outstanding recruiting team at Horns 24-7 and the 24-7 Sports Network. So get over to the site and check that out. And if you're not a subscriber to the Longhorn Blitz podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 24-7. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Uh, The Horns 24-7 podcast feed and i'm very proud to report this in the year we talked about in the year 2021 doing over a million downloads Mm -hmm. wow really really happy with how that went in 2022 the podcast network of which longhorn blitz is consistently the one of if not the highest rated podcast in terms of downloads and listens nice uh 1.9 over 1.9 million downloads for the podcast channel in 2022 that's so stuff. that's combining state of recruiting, the flagship, and what we've got going on Longhorn Blitz. We would not do those numbers without the listening audience. So thank you, listeners, for keeping us relevant and making sure, keeping honest to make sure we put out a good product. Oh, shizzle. All right. Rod, I want to start with you because Matt and I recorded a quickie uh, after the day after the bowl game, and we laid out some thoughts on the uh, Alamo Bowl loss to Washington. I just didn't know if you had anything that was really top of mind that you felt you wanted to put out any narratives you wanted to dispel or hone in on anything that just, just still this far after the, after the game, because we're recording this on a Tuesday, the game was on last Thursday. Yeah. Anything that just still really sticks with you after that game? Uh, Well, I've watched it um, probably three times now. It's honestly, I, I'm, I'm just disappointed that, you know, I think Sark's lack of creativity um, with the running game, really cost them. I think it was an arrogant game plan when it comes to the running game. I love the way he brought along his young QB, kept him in a rhythm. He didn't get fixated on a deep ball. We did see it early, but he didn't get fixed on it. didn't, to me, it, it, even though they missed missed all of them, it's up the hell Mary at the end. <laughs> it, it, was, it didn't disrupt the rhythm of Quinn Ewers. He was able to get him back in the rhythm and keep him confident. Uh, so I, I really liked the, the game plan they had offensively passing. But, man, what, they have 14 traditional rushes, basically, in yeah. the game? Um, man, that's, that's once again, that's Coach Steven. I mean, we just saw him again. We saw him before the game, the, the good guy that was dog-cussing the production <laughs> assistant. Uh, that wasn't Coach Sark. No, the guy, Coach Sark is cool to that. Uh, that. He got more swag than that. That was Steven, once again. And that's why that game, that's why that game plan was somewhat arrogant and flawed because Steven showed up once again. He had that cowboy hat on trying to Yellowstone it before the game, and he was going <laughs> off dog-cussing. And think about this. I, I, I think, honestly, and it's like when you have, you know, if you – you have a significant other and you probably know the situation where you get into an argument about something and maybe it was about the trash or maybe you got into an argument about you know, the ice trays, whatever the hell it was. It didn't really matter. Uh, there was an argument of brewing and it was coming. 
Um, and, and and most of the time, that's about some other insecurity you have with other some other part of your life, whether it be work or something else, your health it could be something else, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Sark in that moment. The reason he exploded on that guy, that wasn't about that guy. He knew his team wasn't ready to play. Yeah, that's what he knew. He knew he was missing his best player and his best leader. And he had watched that team in practice for three weeks. He went, man, he ain't ready for this. And I'm going up against my ex. I want to show out here. There was a little insecurity there too, right? Because he's going up against some a team that he wants to do well against, a team that, you know, once he was wants the head coach of, he wants to do well there. I think he knew his team wasn't ready to play. Um, that was that was that argument you have with your significant other that ain't about you taking out the trash and got nothing to do with the you eating on the couch or whatever. That was about some other insecurity or something that went down and that was Sark in that moment. I could see it. Uh, yeah. and sorry, Coach Steven. Because this might be the season of all. might be the off season of Steven. Because um, based on you know the way he called that game, I was disappointed because listen, you lost. You know, you go look at broken tackle rate. Rojo led the country in broken tackle rate in the last two years. You're talking about he broke tackles at a higher rate than Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson set the Pro Football Focus records for broken or tackles or forced missed tackles, tackles this, this, mm-hmm. this past season. It, it, you look at those two things, and for some reason, Sark went into that game calling plays as if. He had Rojo and Bijan. Um, the ultimate, to me, just just an era in judgment starting Keelan Robinson over Jonathan Brooks. I yeah. thought, I think everybody thought, oh, Jonathan Brooks is going to be on the focal point of this running game, and then Keelan Robinson will be a, 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 a complimentary piece. I mean, I love Keelan Robinson. I love his skills. I think they've done a great job of developing him now to being a downfield receiver, something that he was lacking uh, prior to this past season. But uh, he's a side dish. He's mm. he's mashed potatoes and gravy. He's mac and cheese. You don't make that the main course of your running game. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to make you know mac and cheese the main course. That's No, no, don't do that. I need something more substantive. Jonathan Brooks' skill set is more substantive than that. I was a little surprised by that error in judgment. He kind of stuck with it, too, even though yeah. his feel for the game had clearly shown that was a, that was a mistake. Uh, so that was a dang coaching mistake with the running game. But then it was, it was, there was no variety in the running game. Your most, your most explosive and your most efficient, your most effective personnel package all year long have been 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. I went into this in detail on one of the long one blitzes that, that yep. you were out, Jeff. And I've talked about it at nauseam, held even before that. And Sark had done a really good job of being able to implement that. Of course, I guess it's easier when you got the best running back in the country and also, you know, another NFL running back in that backfield. He, but Keelan Robinson was a big part of that. I was shocked. We didn't see it at all. Not one, not one play of 21 personnel, not one play of 20 personnel, not one play of the 6 old line package, which Kyle Flood said that we were going to see uh, during the uh, Alamo Bowl media availabilities. So we didn't see it either. And he said, oh, no, that's not something we did just last season. We've been doing that since we got together with at Atlanta, you know, in the NFL, which I did research. And it's true. They, they have been doing it for a really long time. It was kind of it was a trend in the NFL at the time. And they kind of kept it going. You just been bragging about having the deepest group of young offensive linemen in the country and how talented they are and they're competing for reps. Well, you ain't you got none of those guys can do the six oh line package? Are you serious? Yeah. I mean that so I, I just thought I thought either that was an arrogant game plan or 
he lost his muse in Bijan Robinson. Therefore, in the running game, therefore lost his creativity and his in- innovation or his ability to innovate in the running game. I don't believe that. I think Coach Steven took over that game for most of it in the running game, and then Coach Sark was called in the passing game, and then Coach Steven was called in the running <laughs> game, and I basically was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde kind of stuff going on there on the sideline. Yeah, and to your point, you know, um, Rod and I, or Jeff and I, we talked about the run game and you know coming out with Keelan, and it really was surprising to see like when you look at the numbers like a higher percentage and a higher amount of gap scheme runs were to Keelan than Jonathan Brooks which just doesn't make sense when you think about their skill set and what they do and like you saw just Keelan coming and just running straight into a line where there weren't any holes and he ended up having three of his eight runs be like that it was only two of four of six for Brooks which sort of flips their skill set you know Keelan obviously like you said guy you get on the outside or guy that you work and target exactly yeah. and then also with I like your usage of coach Steven because we used to talk a bit about you know Tom Herman in his meathead mode oh the but like <laughs> coach Steven we've brought it up before like the times that you've seen sort of the oh, 40 TCU like the former game. the former player come out inside mm-hmm. of Steven though oh, like yeah, the true. intensity and like when I saw the, him going off in the front of the you know the Alamo Bowl guy or whatever and it was like he was almost in his player mode but like as a coach you sort of got to detach yourself from that lunacy that because I've heard you talk it's about having point. to bring your mind to a point yeah. that you have to be almost a lunatic to get out there and play football and you have to get into this trance but like if as a former player and then now a coach I can see those lines being blurred because he reacted as like some meathead yeah. lineman and yeah. done that and then he went out and called plays with like a meathead with putting your you know guy that's a perimeter guy right out the gate just running into the back of line and it was like well Keelan didn't go anywhere there but we were talking well maybe if the O-line can open up some holes you knew if mm-hmm. Keelan hit a hole untouched he's going to outrun that Washington defense Agreed. it's just those holes were never there and he wasn't able to do such yeah I, I categorize the rod as a uh, a miscalculation it just really seemed like he was counting on the offensive line which should have been a confident offensive line considering sure. how well they ran the ball against Kansas and Baylor I think he was just counting them to be able to reestablish the line of scrimmage against Washington. And when they couldn't, when they didn't, they really had no, no, no no fallback plan in the run game. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Other than, other than the screen game, they started to implement the screen game and then some swing passes that basically became their run game in the second half. Yeah. No, passing game. It's yeah. I was just surprised at the lack of, like I said, the lack of variety, number one, with personnel groupings and things of that nature. That's just – that's basic, right? It's like, all right, you know what? We've been running 20 and 21 personnel all year long. It's been really good. He said we would see all three backs. We didn't. We only saw two of those those backs. We only saw Keelan Robinson and Jonathan Brooks. And I'm not saying that I – you know, maybe Jaden Blue's not ready. That's mm-hmm. fine, too. But um, still, more variety with those guys yeah. in the running game. And I was a little surprised by that. Um, also, I mean, listen – and I'll say this for Sark, because Sark, I, was, his, I say he's a big game hunter. He is. His big shots that he dials up, right, uh, especially some of those early shots that he dials up in the passing game deep downfield, he, they are meant to do psychological damage to the defense. It, it, it's meant yeah. to actually change the way the defense is going to defend the, the Texas offense. When you don't hit them for whatever reason, and especially when they're drops, they almost do that damage to the offense at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, those drops, oh, they were psychologically 
devastating to Texas offense. They were. I thought about you know what game I thought about as that one unfolded, Rod. I thought about your sophomore year, that Holiday Bowl. Chris Simpson four picks in that game against Oregon, but he threw some balls. Just was dropping dimes in the second half. I remember Roy Williams and B.J. Johnson both had critical drops Mm -hmm. down the stretch. And I think that kind of just reminded me of, and we saw growth from Chris Sims, even though, I mean, I forgot that he threw four picks in that game, but I remember as a fan just observing from afar, like, all right, hey, he he took a step forward. He battled through it. Yeah, he he fought through through it. it, And that's kind of, I'm changing the subject a little bit, but that's kind of how I felt about Quinn Ewers. Like, I thought the growth from him and Sark, we talked about this last episode, and this kind of speaks to what you're talking about. I thought the growth for them was, you know what? Washington is content to give them the short and intermediate game because they haven't taken it all year. No. They haven't shown on film they're willing to take it. No. In the second half, they were both willing to take it. Exactly. And decided, you know what? We're not going to run the ball if we throw – a six-yard out to Jordan Whittington, hell, good, that's though. better than anything we're getting on the ground right just now. That's good. No, yeah. I'm with you. I, I, so I love the way Sark dialed up the passing game and adjusted in the passing game. The drops, unfortunately, I mean, that's something you got it, 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 to – it's been an issue. It happens. So, yeah, you got to address it. No, it's it's for, for Xavier Worthy, someone of his oh, know, yeah. ilk as a player – um, man, that's a, it's egregious. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. You can't. I mean, it's, you can't have those in those crucial situations. Oh, if you have brutal. one, you got to come. You got to come back and make a play. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like Xavier Hutchinson. Remember, he had that big drop for Iowa State. Oh, mm-hmm. I felt bad for Iowa State, even yeah. though it helped Texas. He was wide yeah. open. That's a game winner. Yeah, I mean, that's, and he's a big time. He's, he's a, a first big, team All Big Twelve. He's an NFL player, no doubt. And he came back after that though and made a play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for, for X Man, I you know he, he he battled back and made some plays, but man that. For him, I know that it's a heart rip out. Play. Yes, I think it's it's it just all the wind, all the momentum that you had, all the confidence. It just seems like it's just wasted. That's where I was going with that. My roundabout point that I that went nowhere. Um, you no, know, I see exactly what you were saying. Roy Williams and B.J. Yeah. Johnson battled back from that. Those drops didn't define them. So X is talented enough. Yeah, and it won't to, define to battle him. back from it. Yeah. I want to because Matt brought up a great point that we had been thinking about, and I don't know. I, I I've been cognizant of it, but. Haven't thought about it in the terms Matt put it in last episode. Xavier Worthy might have been the player in this offense that was most negatively impacted by Isaiah Nair not being there. Because Isaiah Nair was supposed to be your vertical threat, your guy that takes the top off a of defense. And we talked about it at the time of the injury. Mm-hmm. This is going to change what you do with Xavier Worthy because you can't use him kind of however you want. Now he almost has to, by default, be your vertical guy. And we saw there was kind of an over-reliance at times on him being the vertical guy. I just wonder in the spring going forward, and, and I, I'm not expecting Isaiah Nair to be anywhere near full go until maybe later in the spring just based on the trajectory of ACL injuries that we've mm-hmm. seen. But that could be one thing to hang his hat on, and the Sarkin hanging his hat on, like, look, if we get Isaiah Nair back, now we can have X just be kind of what we want him to be. We don't need him to be a guy that chases five, six deep balls a game. Just use him underneath, use him in the passing game, let him use his ability to run after the catch, basically use him in, a, in the role you projected him to be in in 22. That's the role he can be in in 23. And yeah. maybe that changes. You know, no, I'm with you. Him. I totally agree with you. Um, and I, I remember at the time saying, you know, he presented a, you know, with Isaiah Nayor and Bijan in the backfield and X-Men, it was a mathematical equation that defenses just could not solve. You can't put a safety over the top of Isaiah Nayor, double X-Men, and stack the box. you got to pick and choose. It would have made the offense so much simpler 
for a, even a young quarterback in there mm-hmm. because basically it would have been like, which one are they doing? Are they dropping that safety back? Are they going to double X-Man? Mm-hmm. Or are they, they bringing you know, that safety down into the box? It, either way, we know exactly where we need to go. Uh, when he, when he we left, I totally agree with you. When Isaiah Nayor had that injury, um, it left a void in, within that you know, mathematical equation yep. that I'm talking about. And I think it's up to, you know, Brendan Marion. I, you know, I love me some Brendan Marion. You guys know that. Been advocating for him to be here in Texas for a long time. Really happy he's here. I think he's brought a ton. Let's talk about 21 personnel with his go-go offense to Texas's two-back sets um, because that, uh, like a lot of that innovation was with him. But the development of the wide receiver position it's it's gotta man, it's gotta go in overdrive this off season because yeah, you should Brendan Thompson should be one of those guys that can take a top off for you. Just ask him to run nine routes, just ask mm-hmm. him to run post routes, mm-hmm. just asking him to attract the attention of safety. If they don't, they decide to just leave him there one on one. Oh man, you're asking him basically to separate from a corner, which is easy for those guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there are young receivers you're coming up, you know, they're coming up that should be able to at least develop into that role. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think for Isaiah Nayor, as long as he stays healthy, it'll be much better. Jay Witt's decision is going to be huge yeah. for the Texas passing game. There's no doubt the Texas passing game regressed this year. It did. It took a, it, it took a back. It, I mean, I don't know. It took a backward step, um, and it shouldn't have. There was no right. reason for it really to take that kind of step because you did have the personnel. The, the ascent of JT Sanders alone. Yeah. should have turned this passing game into a monster, and it wasn't. And if you look at uh, just the numbers and compare last year to this year, I mean, it wasn't as if Joshua Moore and Marcus Washington were insanely impactful last year, but they were receivers that had four, mm. 24 and 17 receptions. They, they ran 226 down. routes and 238 routes. So of the guys that ran more than 200 routes – Last year, it was just Bijan Moore, Washington, K. Brewer, and Worthy. Well, you had A dots of 16.5 to Washington and 12.4 to Joshua Moore. This year, of receivers that ran 200 or more routes, it was just Bijan, Jatavian, Whittington, and Worthy. It was an 8.1 A dot to Whittington, an mm-hmm. 8.2 A dot to Sanders. And we even extended Bijan as a running back because it's rarely to see a running back be positive yeah. in an A dot. He was at 6.8, yeah. which is insanely Insane. impressive. Yeah, but it back. just shows that X Man was the only option. He was 17.6. Yeah. He had to do two things he had to be the volume guy that the offenses ran through and be the vertical threat. And it's really impossible to be such things to where even though last year those guys weren't so impactful with catching the ball, they at least least allowed the explosivity to be there for Worthy to at least get less attention on him because yeah. you look at him in main coverage last year was 4.37 yards per route run. This year it was down around 2.24. I gave out the numbers last week on the show, yeah. and you could just see that it's cut in half, and a lot of that is not only is he having to be the field stretcher because obviously he's the guy with the skill set that can do it, but it takes away from him being able to be that weapon that can be used in a multitude of ways, and it just makes your offense more predictable. Yeah, I I think Sarek, and I th- he and he did it to a certain extent. I, I believe he should have tried to weaponize JT Sanders more uh, up the seam. Like that should have yeah. been that should have been a constant threat for teams. And I I think it was at times, but he would disappear yeah. in terms of the routes up the seam. They used him a ton on the perimeter, which I think he's great. Some of the crossing routes, he's awesome. Um, the under routes, the over routes, but I. I would like, and I think he should run more deep routes. I think he should run yeah. him more up the scene. Because when you say Great. he's as explosive as Casey Kane, because Casey Kane actually had an A dot of eighteen point nine, he was used when on the field. 
as a vertical threat, yeah. trying to be that accessory. He just isn't explosive enough to get the respect, which is why we saw him uh, in certain situations just wide open as that guy at, yeah. from time to time. Especially considering how much Texas played 12 personnel, just one back, two mm-hmm. tight ends, uh, or right. they were in their big 12 personnel with Undridge Carrick in there. They they should try to use him more as a deeper threat like down the field. And I think they will now going forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were just you know, experimenting to make sure he could mm-hmm. handle you know the role of being their number one tight end, um, but that that would have helped I think later on to to compensate for the lack of a deep presence. Yeah, and offense. that's why we also the two transfers that also came in after they I was were just being injured. To say, yeah. yeah, a GI Hall. A he did have a twenty five point five a dot, but it was only on eight routes in his yeah, entire yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And Tariq Milton only ninety three routes. He was a sixteen point three. Those were the guys they were trying to use there. Obviously I guess didn't fit or didn't work. They tried Kane and it still was a guy that after Iowa State we didn't see much of, and it just wasn't anybody else in that role. And Tariq Milton was different for me than the Jai Hall. Tariq Milton served his purpose. He was insurance in case Jordan Whittington got hurt. Yeah, yeah. That's what Tariq Milton was. I said this when Tariq Milton committed to Texas. Between Tariq Milton and Jordan Whittington, if one of those guys stays healthy all year, you should be fine. And yeah. Jay Witt was healthy all year. So and I only was. included him as the guy they right. tried there because his dot you wouldn't think, is 16.3. A Jai Hall is different. Just from the standpoint that he's so talented and you see the raw tools, but I think we figured out pretty quick there was no way they were going to be able to count on a Jai Hall this year. No. I mean, there were there were clues, yeah. <laughs> hints that that was going to be the case uh, in the preseason or in the offseason, and I think, yeah, that, that unfortunately uh, materialized during the season that he just wasn't going to be able to be. Took a, we took be, a swing and missed. Yeah, be stable enough yeah. to be able to help you on the And field. even when you talk about weaponry, you got nothing out of Jaleel Billingsley either. Oh, man, that was so much promise there, So too. basically— And you, he was, you, like, basically the next 10 to 8.8. Basically, yeah. between tight end and wide receiver, you added four transfers. M- Milton was an insurance policy. Nair was hurt, and you got nothing out of the other two. Mm. That's a great point. And, and the other two were the ones with the highest A dot behind the guys we've listed. And because, you know, you've talked about this, Jeff, that Sark likes to keep his, you know, the the usage, if you will, tight, mm-hmm. uh, or at least, you know, him spreading out the football in the passing game. I mean, he keeps that relatively a tight group. He should have found better ways to utilize Jordan Whittington, a healthy Jay Witt, and a, hel- and a, and a healthy, really, in that first-team all-conference tight end in J.T. Sanders. Yeah, I think those two, if he would have weaponized those two pieces more, I think it would have added some mm-hmm. juice to the passing game because there are ways to do that with Jay Witt. I think he found him in certain games. Hell, late in the TCU game, he found it. But Jay Witt still underutilized. I think we all agree for the most part. It was like a get us out of this hole. Let's go to Jay Witt. Like it took until yeah. the second half of the TCU game and to find the underneath throws on the outside. It's you know at that point was sort of when you saw Sark be able to start calling plays to accessorize just the facilitation of the short game in the past game to be able to move some chains if you weren't able to run and obviously against the two higher three safety look not be able to throw the deep ball anymore yeah I think last year I was going off of 30 targets and I think that's when I look back at the target percentages you're talking about Rod I look back at Alabama and I think that was what I was going off was 30 because you had last year uh, Worthy with 103, Joshua Moore 45, Jay Witt 36, Bijan 31, and Marcus Washington 30. So that's five guys. This year was completely different. You talk about funneling usage to your playmakers. You had exit 113 in terms of targets. Jatavian Sanders and Jordan Whittington at 72. 
And then fourth is Bijan at 29. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's how big the drop-off was from your top three, your top three receivers to everybody else. The next closest receiver mm. between Jordan, the next closest receiver or tight end from Jordan Whittington at 72 targets was Casey Kane with 19. Nobody else in double digits. Yeah, the Savion Red at seven. All the backs were 29, 22, mm. 21. And it's because they didn't trust that they they didn't trust they had a third wide receiver, so. They started playing more 12 personnel, more Big 12, yep. more 21, more you know, six I mean, linemen. Yeah, they just didn't trust they really had a third wide receiver. And they probably were right about that. Casey Kane regressed. Mm-hmm. And they started, it didn't, obviously had his best game of the season in the bowl game. We yeah. didn't see, we didn't see much of Brendan Thompson this year. Like you said, Rod, you, yeah. you could have gotten more out of him. Maybe it's just a guy that just, you just throw him one deep shot a game. Just yeah. play. I, I've always loved what you said, plant that seed of doubt in the corner's mind when it comes to the deep ball. And Brennan Thompson's a guy that can get by people. Um, but, yeah, just it, just a really weird year. But I'll say this. You, you talk about Brennan Mary and that group needs to develop in the offseason. That shouldn't be taken as a slight because no. the same stuff we can say about Brennan Marion right now, we said the same stuff about Bo Davis last offseason. And look what that – that other than running back, interior D-line was your most consistent, consistent, productive position group on this team. It was until the bowl game, really. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we we talked about it last week. Like, if you look at Washington, they had the one big run, but it's like they, with their mindset to put themselves basically in four down territory the entire game, for them, a three to four yard run, that was a win for them. And the thing Washington did, other than TCU, nobody else against Texas really stuck with the run. They just decided the running game ain't going to work. We're not going to try to run it. TCU kept trying to run it, and we saw. Uh, even when Kendra Miller was out in that game, we saw Amari mm-hmm. DiMercato had, you know, that's six, seven-yard gains down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what Washington did. And when the play differential got as out of whack as it did, I, Rod, this blew me away. Oh, and, 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 yeah, and Matt Matt got me on play differential a few years ago, and I love tracking it. Before Washington's last drive of the first half, they went on that 16-play drive to get the field goal. Mm-hmm. Texas was plus five in play differential. For the rest of the game, minus 28. Wow. Yeah. And Washington just dominated yeah. the ball. Well, because they, they never got off the field. They couldn't mm-hmm. get off the field. Yeah. I mean, they just. And it goes with their offense. The players, how good they are. the play, Kendrick Colburn and Jalen Ford said before the game that the Washington offense most remind them of Texas Tech. And strangely enough, they basically took the Texas Tech recipe to beat Texas because they basically decided to hold the ball. You said they basically played four down football. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what Texas Tech did to beat Texas, right? Mm-hmm. It was basically McGuire as a riverboat gambler. The Washington uh, Huskies had how many how many double digit play drives? They had a ten play touchdown drive, sixteen play field goal drive, thirteen play touchdown drive, fourteen play touchdown drive, and a thirteen play turnover on downs. <laughs> that uh, was a killer. So they basically they just dominated the football. Texas Tech did the same thing. Texas Tech had six double digit play drives when they end up beating Texas in overtime. Yeah. So same thing. I mean, it's the same exact recipe. Texas defense couldn't make enough plays down the stretch. And here's why the defensive line, essentially, it did let Texas defense down. Zero tackles for loss in that game. You basically forced no negative plays at all. So Washington was always operating at or ahead of the chains. You never really put them behind the chains too much. 
uh, that zone it and the defense. We talked about those clutch plays that Jalen Ford was able to make down the stretch, down the stretch of the season. Those clutch plays late in games to basically win Texas games. They didn't get any of those. Yeah. And I'm not saying that oh it's on Jalen Ford anything. No, no. I mean somebody on defense. He was just the guy that was making all the plays. All but year. somebody's got to make a play late. Terrence Brooks, young DB, great break on the ball, had a chance of making one of those plays. They just didn't. So ultimately for the defense. Although I think it was a winning game plan. I like the game plan by Pete Kwiatkowski. Matter of fact, it's the game plan I said they should run. It was a lighter box early on, mm-hmm. and they knew that Washington knew that mm-hmm. their pass defense was subpar. So if you're Washington, why the hell are you going to run early on against a Texas rush defense that's one of the best in the country? No, the best passing offense in the country versus one of the worst passing defense in the country. So they came out and they threw the football. Uh, as a matter of fact, they threw one of the plays that I said they should run against Texas. They, they, they basically did. Did the uh, flea flicker early on. Uh-huh. Texas first, are really aggressive. Yep. Yeah, they're really play. aggressive, so use their aggressiveness against them. So they threw the ball, I think, 17 times out of the first 20 plays, something like that. And then finally, Adjusted. their adjustment against Texas, because Texas was playing lighter boxes, devoting and allocating resources to stop the passing game was, hey, let's just run it. And then they started to run it right after they broke that, what, 30, 40-yard touchdown, they started to run and go back and watch after that. That's when they started, all right, you know what? We can run against this light box. It's a lighter box. They either matching the box. They're not loading the box. Texas didn't load the box against them to probably fourth quarter. All right, sometime they started, all right, you know what? We're going to bring some defenders down in the box. That was the the counter by PK and company, but it was a little too late after that. They already started dominating the, the time possession, and they got no really offensive support at all from Texas. And Texas – when we talk about the running game, sometimes the running game, the point of it is just to control the game. So you can be moving the football and even scoring points, but if you ain't running the football, you ain't controlling the game. Right. And that's what they did. They decided, no, no, we need to be able to control this game more, and that's why they started to run the football late. Texas made some adjustments, but ultimately they, I think their game plan and their slight tinkers, uh, just kind of tink- tinkering with the game plan, I think that ultimately is what gave them the edge down the stretch against Texas defense, which, by the way, it, that was a game. That was a game plan that was worthy of a victory, and so was Quinn Ewers' performance. If I told you he was thirty-one of forty-seven, three hundred sixty-nine yards on touchdown, and you know zero interception, you'd be like, "Oh man, Texas wins that game." No, no, Texas. I think ultimately the lacking was they they got out coached in that game. They got out played too, but the defense I thought played well enough for Texas to win. I thought Quinn Ewers mm-hmm. played well enough for Texas to win, and I think other members of the team didn't show up. And ultimately, I don't think. Sark showed up. I think Steven showed up, and they lost that game. Yeah, when you look at Washington, you know, even on the year, that was their recipe. Like, they were a bottom 20 team. Jeff wrote about it in his three keys, but bottom 20 on percent of first downs on first through second down, but one of the best teams in the country at converting on third and fourth mm-hmm. down because they buy into the, you know, philosophy. It's four to get ten yeah, here. I think, I think, all- I think Matt, they were top, like, ninth, I think, in money down success rate, and then if you just look at third down conversions, they were the best in the country. Yeah. They're elite and doing mm-hmm. that across the board. And then, you know, the ability to make adjustments because we saw Penix coming out, like you said, not only the flea flicker, but then he had like six straight incompletions because yeah. they were forcing the ball downfield trying yeah. to get explosive and then quickly realized. And after that, if you look at his numbers, he was as efficient as you can get because they quickly made the adjustments, took what the defense was giving them. And that was the battle that Texas had on offense throughout the season. And it was something that Washington was 
was obviously well prepared to be able to go in and change our game plan immediately and deal with what the defense is going to be giving you, and they're really effective. Yeah, it's I a well-coached it was, game. It was. It, their offense versus Texas defense, I thought it was a nice chess match going back and forth. They started off – Throwing the deep ball, they were like, "No, no, we are going to test them damn safeties. We're going to throw yep. the deep ball and they were early." Six straight in and Texas decided, "All right, you know what? Actually, we don't care because we're going to put two deep safeties back there, and we're going to have, you know, our our pass defense will be where we win the numbers games. That's what we care about." And then they decided finally, you know what? Running the ball is the way to go. We can't we can't decide to keep throwing against this damn pass defense. We're losing the mm-hmm. numbers game, and they weren't connecting necessarily on a lot of those deep balls downfield. And then once they start running the football, that's when PK started to go more to single high safeties, mm-hmm. put an extra guy down in the box. And then when they did that, remember, they started chunking the ball deep again. Remember, they started mm-hmm. throwing it deep again. Yep. That's what's like, oh, well, they go single high, we're going to chunk it deep again downfield to try to make a play on the deep ball. And they really still had kind of moderate success yeah. with that. It was ultimately them running the football. And I was surprised they could run the football that well against Texas' rush defense and against Texas' defensive line. But they did it, and, it, and you're right, Jeff. It was just They were just persistent. They just mm-hmm. kept pounding away at it, and ultimately the dam broke, just like it did against TCU for Texas. They just couldn't hold up. And I think it kind of goes back to Texas not giving them a lot more offensive support, especially with the running game, so Texas could put together some long, sustained drives to try to match them. Yeah, if you look at... If you look at the care, I'm just looking at just the raw numbers right now. I mean, if you look at the rushing attempts the defense faced, you can think about each game what kind of rushing attempts they were, right? Like when the numbers are high, like Oklahoma ran it 42 times. They had no passing game. Yeah, they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't. They literally like, could not throw the ball. The forward yeah. pass was out of their playbook. After like the third uh, drive. No, yeah, it really was. O- Oklahoma State was For one of those second. games where in the second half they started to go back to the run and eventually they popped one. Uh, TCU, talk about being persistent with yeah. it. Texas Tech, how many of their runs? They have 44 carries. How many of those were short yardage? Mm-hmm. Uh, UTSA, those were some Frank Harris scrambles. Uh, Baylor ran it 39 times. Uh, why, I don't know. They didn't really try to challenge Texas throwing the football. But you can look at it. But when you look at yards per carry, you know, of the 13 opponents. I think about that Baylor game, they didn't even have a lot of possessions in the second half. Yeah. So, really, most of that was in the first half because mm-hmm. they didn't really have the ball really right. in the second half. Texas dominated time position, I believe, in that game in yeah, the second half. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the 13 opponents, Texas held 11 of them to four yards per carry or less. Mm-hmm. K-State had the high up 4.0. The two teams, though, and you can think about the one big run each of these teams had, Alabama was a 6.7. Yeah, Bulk of that was the 81-yard run. Yeah. And Bryce Young scrambles late. And then Washington was a 5.6. But I went ahead and did the thing I hate doing. Well, if you take out the one big play, what happens? <laughs> Against Alabama, you take out the one big play, and you're like, Texas pretty much stuffed Alabama's run game. Yep. Yeah. But even in this one, to my point, if you take out the the 42-yard run, they're still at 4.3 a carry, which, again, if I'm an offensive coordinator and I know I'm in four-down territory, I'm in four-down mode, Four to four and a half yards per carry against Texas. That's a win. You that's a win for me. Yeah, but late they were like seven yards. Yeah, nine. The yards. totality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah Papa looked yeah. better than he's ever looked in exactly. his career. I've started, seen that guy. He was plotting when he was a Virginia back. Yeah. Once, no, the, once started, a play, once play differential kicked in. Yeah. Yeah. They wore Texas down. I think that's why Texas needed you know on the other end complimentary football. Um, Texas needed. Yeah, they needed some complimentary football. They did not get it from the offense. Because the, the offense needed to be a lot more complementary and balanced, and it, it was not. It was an unbalanced offensive game plan. You only had 14 traditional rushes in that game because 
you, it, you you came in with an arrogant game plan, trying to run the same plays you ran with Bijan and Rojo, but then you didn't even have an adjustment to it at all. Yeah. It was nothing. It was just, and <laughs> it's almost like Coach Steven is sabotaging the run game so that Coach Sark can just take it or just throw the damn ball all over the place. And it's like, yeah, because like you just pointed out, they're running, they, they're running Rojo plays with Keelan, and it's like, yep. well, who would do that? Yeah, that's a Rojo play. Yeah, that's a, a what? It didn't make any sense at that's all. That's what Brooks should be in there doing. It was a nonsensical run game plan. I, f- I forgot which who said it in the press room, but we're waiting for Texas to come in, and we're looking at the final numbers. I forget who said it, but they said, "Wow, you mean to tell me the five nine, one hundred seventy pound scat back couldn't get going between the tackles?" <laughs> right. mm-hmm. I guess. So. Well, I, guess I don't so. know what you're yeah. doing at that point. I don't know what to tell you. But you know what? Uh, Matt and I talked about this, and again, Rod, for our first show of the year, just kind of want to get some cleanup and and you know set the table for for the off season. The way Texas lost this game, all the factors that led to them losing the game is a microcosm of how they lost games all year, mm. right? Money downs, yeah, red zone, mm-hmm. inability to run the foot, getting out rushed, uh, and then. Actually, in-game adjustments, they, for the most part, when we talk about Sark throwing the ball and PK's adjustments, in-game adjustments, they were good. They, they were decent. They were, but they were decent. You got, you, you, it was, a, it was a, at best a push, and probably you lost special teams. You lost field position. In you got game. a punt blocked for the yeah. first time all year, which is yeah. strange. And they only rushed seven. They just did a, they did a it was a loop. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So, it, I, I'm with you. I, I love that this team had – you know, so much progress in year two under Sark. That was awesome. The critiques for me now are, honestly, it, they're more micro, not macro issues of systemic problems, cultural problems, um, pointing less to that and now pointing to, hey, man, they got to fix their pattern match cover four. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, Football you know, problems. Yeah, exactly. Sark, right. Sark's yeah. red zone calls need to be better. Sark's red up. zone calls need to be better. Texas, obviously, you talked about money downs. G-O-T-F, get off the field, right? That's... So we're talk- going to the offseason now talking about not, not minor things, but we're talking about things that, like I said, are less macro issues, less systemic issues. And now, uh, like Matt said, these are more football-oriented things that you know you can fix. Like you know and you know how to fix them. Um, hell, it's it's hard to talk about how to fix a cultural issue. <laughs> we're not or, or, we're not or, talking about Sark being asked. Hey, do you think you've lost the team? Well, I don't know. You have to ask them that. We're we're yeah. we're, we're past that. Yeah, at this exactly point. right. The UTMZ. I thank goodness for that. You know the UTMZ days of last year. So I I, I do I commend the coaches for the progress you made. But I, I said this before. Don't let your low expectations for Texas football now affect the standard of Texas football. And the standard is always the standard. Standard is it's a championship standard. Mm-hmm. You don't meet that standard, all right? Then I can't call the season a success. I it damn sure wasn't a failure. It is what it is. There was a lot of progress made, but don't let your low expectations affect the standard of my football program. Yeah, progress it is, is the, made, the standard. Is champ- it's done. a championship standard. Don't start lowering it now. Like, well, last ten, fifteen years. No, I don't give a damn about the last ten to fifteen years. All right, it is what it is. You meet the standard or you don't. We won eleven games here two years in a row, my junior and senior year, and did not meet the standard. All right, we played in the Big 12 title game one year, so I'll say, all right, you know what? Maybe that year we got we played for a title. So that's you got to at least play for a title. You're playing for a title in championships. If you ain't in that conversation, then you didn't meet the standard. It's okay. 
All right? It's all right. You ain't hurting nobody's feelings. Nobody's saying they're trash. All right? And there's progress made. And God bless those young people for working their butts off to try to get there. But they ain't there. All right, so yeah. quit patting people on the back uh, when they prematurely when they haven't earned it yet. They'll earn it. They'll get there. The program will get there. But don't start lowering the standard now, people. That's ridiculous. No, yes. and I've, I've said this before, and I don't know why people view stuff like this. This is just kind of the way our society, mirror society. It's not an all or nothing deal. It's not like oh no. they made progress. You, you can't knock anything they did. And at the same time, it's not well. Yeah, you didn't win a Big Twelve championship, so this season sucked. Like. No, you can acknowledge that there was progress made, yet at the same time acknowledge, you know what, to get to where you want to be. And that that's where my uncertainty is about Sark, Rod, exactly. to be honest with you. When you talk about the championship standard, I don't know if he's the coach that can get you there. No, I don't know. None of us do. That's where the uncertainty lies. And you can say, yeah, you made progress. Eight wins is a hell of a lot better than five. Mm-hmm. You were ranked in the top 25 most of the year. All those things are good. But you've got all of this to fix to get to where ideally you want to be. Exactly. That, that's the end goal. Yeah. And I've, I said it I said it on Light the Tower. I wrote about it on the site, said it on the podcast last week. People are like, well, what's your expectation, Jeff? What's your expectation for 23? How many wins? I say, however many wins it takes to get to Arlington. That's my expectation. That's where the bar is set. Pretty much. I agree. I'm with you on that. I if it takes nine, if it takes ten, if eight gets you there, whatever it is, get to Arlington. Yeah, Play I, for a championship. And let, I mean, even looking at this season, you lost to – but Texas Tech, you're a better team than Texas Tech. You lost Oklahoma State. You're a better team than Oklahoma State. Uh, you win one of those games by playing in the Big 12 title game. I think you are playing. Not too. saying you yeah. win it, but you're playing there. And like I said, that's that's when, you yeah. know what, we won't talk about whether they met the standard. And I said, no, they played for a championship. Mm-hmm. That's that's what Texas football, also what Texas sports, as CDC, they talk about, you know, what his expectations are. It's always for Texas to be, you know, a nationally top-ranked team and to be playing for championships. And so I think Texas will get back there. Um, but, yeah, I, I hate to see people now talking about, you know, whether the season was a success or not. You know, I, I agree with you. It's a lot of great area there. Um, but just understand when I am critiquing the program or, you know, talking about the program, giving you my opinion, it's because I am talking about it from a championship standard. So that's what like, man, you guys are so, so negative. All you're talking about is the bad stuff. There was so much good. There is a lot of good. And I hope we hit as much of the good as we do the bad. But the point is, when I am critiquing the program, I'm looking at it from a championship program standpoint. So that's why I'm probably a little bit more critical than most. So I understand you can lower your expectations. That's fine because that's good. You should make sure they're manageable and they're moderate. But that, don't let that affect the standard of the program, which yeah. is supposed to be about greatness. Rod, in your four years, you won 40 football games and didn't meet the standard. Didn't I said, maybe I made it that one year when yeah. you played for the Big Joe Talk. That's about it. You won oh, 40 games yeah. in four years. Yeah. Well, and then to add on to that, in addition to the 11-2 and two and 11-2, and two, then the next couple of seasons went ten and three and eleven and one, and Mac Brown was on the hot seat. Exactly. Like it got worse. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like it, it was nearly so about to be fired. Can't be Oklahoma. Yeah, he got blown out. Then he got shut out. Twelve zero and moved Vince Young to wide receiver. And like, well, if Texas doesn't have Tony Jeffrey catch a ball against Kansas in late November. And there's no Rose Bowl. Mac Brown's probably fired if they lose against. Like that's how close it was. That's what it is right there, and like that's when that's a standard that you have to achieve to. 
you have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And when you look at like this year, people can say, yeah, well, they went to the last weekend with the chance that who knows, because you had the tiebreaker against Kansas State. Texas could That's have true. been in, right. and you only finished one game behind them. They almost made it to the Big 12 championship just because the Big 12 was down. That doesn't change what yeah. the standard of what Texas is, because yeah. y'all should have played in the Big 12 championship oh, Texas man. so many times, but the old Big 12 South only let Texas or Oklahoma go. Yeah. It's sort of the way that the Big 10 is now with Ohio State, Michigan, and then the crappy side. So sometimes like these James things... James Franklin and your Rose Bowl champion, yeah, exactly. Penn State, there Nittany Lions. <laughs> exactly. So like, yeah, the standard is you need to get back to def- trying to win national championships, and that's basically, if you're in contention to win the Big 12, yeah. then you can do that. You beat Oklahoma, you normally get around there you can't be losing to the yeah. bottom feeders and pretty soon you'll have some leeway there because they'll expand the college football playoff yep and then you'll and you're you know, in the you sec we're gonna be yeah. getting five yeah. teams yeah. in you have a little help whether you could be just there like hey yeah, they yep. play for a championship there you go, yeah. there you go. well yeah. it's, it's, if, if texas <laughs> let's just say hypothetical that's why i'm saying you got to win the big 12 championship I man if you go 12 and 0 and lose the big 12 championship game but you get into the playoff don't tell me that season wasn't a success. That's why I brought exactly. up my eleven win season. I'm like, hey man, hey, this eleven damn wins, but I, I'll admit, like, hey man, you got to beat Oklahoma, which we didn't do, and you want to play for the Big Twelve title, which we only did once. So I was like, yeah, I agree. It's heartbreaking and it's upsetting. It's like, damn man, so I didn't mean to say that. Like, no, you didn't. That's <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy. Yeah. Quit lowering the damn standard, and make it easy for them. You had it's a, a great, you had a great year. You had a great year. You, but, I, yes, but you didn't awesome. meet the standard. <laughs> Exactly. You know, we talk about uh, Coach Gus today. R.I.P. to Coach Gus because yep. he passed away. Uh, we talk about a legendary lifetime logo. There's a standard for Texas baseball. You don't meet the standards, okay? You still had a good year. Yeah, you like, don't dogpile you, to go to like, Omaha. Oh, we, we, you exactly. need to get there. You got to get That's there. Sort we of got to Omaha. <laughs> we got to Omaha. Did you win it? No? All right, then. Yeah, then go to another school. Where they can, where they celebrate that. That's kind exactly of stuff. what I was fixing to say. Don't come to Texas, then. <laughs> the, Don't come here. <laughs> for everybody, MFers need to get in the trades for Florida. For everybody, up what Bo Davis said. Yeah, but seriously, that's the whole point. That's why it ain't easy. Yeah, yeah. You get showered with a lot of love and people, and they treat you like a celebrity. You treat it like a pro athlete in this town. Trust me, it is a good life. But you got to meet the standard too. That's part of. It. And if you don't, then you got to accept. Man. We should have done better. We could have done better. That's why, like teams like the, like the 08 team gets some leeway because they should have. Because I think Texas fans look at it, okay. Uh, yeah. We're not going to hold it they against you screwed. that a computer kept you out of the conference you championship. Game. You beat Oklahoma. You beat Oklahoma head to head. We'll give you some leeway because the computer screws exactly. you. Exactly. See, if well, I beat Oklahoma one of them years, people are like, hey, man, to hell with that. They beat Oklahoma. Yeah. They should get a shot. No, they made a standard. We didn't do it. I'll admit, you don't beat Oklahoma. That's the first part of it. You ain't, gonna, yeah. you ain't meeting the standard. You ain't beating no glass party. You got and back when you played, it was okay. You beat Oklahoma. Did you beat the Aggies? Yeah, exactly. You had two of them back in the day. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's part. That's coming back up, too, by the way. It is. And I'll say this, too. For everybody says, well, I mean, all, all trajectories are not linear. Okay, I understand that. But at this place, it has to be. That's the way it is. That's the way it is here, man. That's what I said. You can't. Don't come to Texas. Go go to Tech. Good program. You go there. You guys win the Big 12 title gate. We'll storm the field. It's great. That's why you can, yeah. there's nothing that drives me more nuts. Like, there's nothing that drives me more insane. They'll be like, well, Mac Brown got fired for going 8-5. and five. Tom Herman got fired for 1-7-3. No, no, no. Mac got run out because the stand he was not meeting the standard year after year after year at that point. He was a prisoner of his own excellence. And there was no <laughs> – same thing happened with Rick Barnes. Same thing happened with mm-hmm, Augie yeah. Garrido. And there was no sign that Mac was going to get it back to that point. By the end of 13, you realize you're not going to get it back to that point. With Tom Herman, it was you talk about expectations and you know 
uh, that linear trajectory. Yeah, year him. two, year two, forget the Sugar Bowl and 10 wins. You played for the Big 12 title in year two, yep. right? So what's the expectation for the following year? Mm-hmm. Go win the conference. Yep, it was. But when you're 7-5 and five and in the Alamo Bowl, dude, you didn't win the, that's not winning the conference. Yep. You right. finished in the middle of the pack in the conference. Mm-hmm. Now, now you got a problem. It's true. That was a disappointment. You're right. It, it, we always said if Tom Herman had won that Big Twelve, uh, that played for the Big Twelve title in his third year, yeah. Yeah. it actually would have been better than the second year. Yeah. Because the second, you're right. People started having those unrealistic expectations about Tom Herman and his regime. But now, if you're Sark, I think that's a healthy goal. Get to Arlington. You're right. That's Get a healthy Arlington. goal for your third. Totally agree with you. I, and honestly, it's my expectation. You can't listen. You you can't go backwards. So we're talking about at least nine wins. Nine nine nine, nine should get you there. At yeah. least nine, exactly, right? In the Big Twelve. Because even if you lose to Alabama, seven and two in the conference should get you to yeah. Arlington. Now you got a couple classes of your kids well, starting but, to pile up. Uh, Craig and I were talking about this, and Matt, I think you were in on it too. We were talking about it before we got in here. Craig Way, by the way, was Craig and I do light the tower every day from ten to noon on the horn, in case you're not aware. Shout out. Um dot com. Uh we were talking about it. What is the Big Twelve what does Texas schedule even look like next year? Because you got four new teams coming into the league. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Are, are you going to have to – according to what the Houston Chronicles reported, you're going to have to go to Houston. You're going to have to go to U of H for a road game. Are, are you going to have to go to Provo? Mm. Are, are you going to have to go to Cincinnati? And then On top of, based on the rotation, you're supposed to go to Waco. You're supposed to go to Fort Worth. You're supposed to go to Morgantown and Ames. How many long road – is a Big 12 going to say, okay, you we'll, you can keep Morgantown and Ames, uh, and we're giving yeah. you Houston, but instead of Waco and Fort Worth, uh, you're going to go to Orlando and Provo. Yeah, Big well, 12 ain't doing you no favors. I can yeah. Oh, yeah, and they'll, they'll change because the added four teams, they can sort of just reset, and whoever you went to this year doesn't even matter to next year. I remember that happened the last time we had conference realignment and we had back-to-back years going to certain places – I bet they Oklahoma can State came that. to Austin two years in a row. There you go. That was, yeah, yeah. That um, yeah. Or no, that's a great point. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother level. Yep. So uh, again, I'm assuming seven and two gets you in. But again, I can't. We can't sit here and play schedule predictor because the league hasn't released the schedule yet. Yeah. No. And for uh, yeah, for Texas, like I said, nine wins total to me. I think. For Longhorn fans, that's a realistic place to be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of Longhorn fans are probably in your camp, Jeff, that they think a Big 12 title represent, you know, representation yeah. by Texas. I, I feel like that conversation. I feel like because, I mean, you don't – the thing about with the Sugar Bowl being a semifinal next year, you don't get like that automatic, oh, with the Big 12 champion goes to the playoff, then you still get the Sugar Bowl. Maybe you get uh, – I love the Alamo Bowl, but please not another December in mm-hmm. San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, maybe you still get a New Year's Six at that point. But think about the schedule. I'm just thinking out loud. I would almost bet Texas goes to Provo next year because if it's their last year in the league, Sark is a BYU legend, I, I bet Texas goes to Provo next year. Take the networks go want that one. Yeah. The broadcast networks. The ghosts of Taysom Hill. Uh, yeah. Um, man, I mean, it's – Listen, the Big 12 is so damn unpredictable. I'm changing that. If Texas goes to Provo, I'll make a promise right now. If Texas goes to Provo, I'll change my avatar on all my social media platforms and on the uh, uh, flagship message board at Horns 24-7. My avatar that week will be Rod's face from the Provo sideline in 2013. Oh, man. I said, I'm not going. I got bad memories of that place. (laughs) Never again. No, no way, man. Yeah, that's that's a tough road trip for them, too. I mean, because – BYU is one of those teams you really never know year to year what you're going to get. They have so many 
with the missionaries and all that kind of stuff. Grown men on team, you never really know what you're going to get, yeah. you, but you know it's going to be a physical game early in the season. Yeah, which you know that can be a challenge early on because depending on how your training camp was, if you had a lot of injuries, some coaches like to hit a lot, they don't. Man, you know BYU is going to bring it. Or even if it's late, I mean, if you're if you you're playing, Bama you got team. Alabama on the schedule. Bama. Uh, you, you, by the way, your third non-con game is against Wyoming, and they're a, they were a bowl team this year. Um, in the Mountain West, but whatever, they were a bowl team. Uh, hell, all three of your non-con games, Rice got into a bowl at five and seven, so Rice was a Rice was a bowl team. You're playing three bowl teams in non-conference. Uh, you know, you're going to play what should be an improved Oklahoma team. Uh, going to U of H, that that's going to be a charged up crowd because it's probably the last and only time they'll host Texas. For the foreseeable future, uh, if you play BYU late, then it could just Weather. be man, you're not catching a break because you're getting a physical, tough team on the road late in the year after you've already played all these tough teams already. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That's you know, e- either way, I mean, the issues that Texas are that they got to improve on are pretty obvious. Yeah, they got to they got to fix the passing game somehow, and man, they got to make sure they find themselves a marquee running back or a group of backs or the, figure out you need to be more diverse with your run game calls. I think it's going to be both. Probably. Have to yeah. be. It's got to be a little bit of both. I mean, I know you're getting Cedric Baxter in, but man, I, the lack of confidence in Jonathan Brooks in, by the coaching staff mm-hmm. gives me pause. Cause I thought that'd been a no brainer. I, I got, they're seeing something I'm not seeing. I got skeptical when I'll give my colleague Chip Brown, I'll give Chip credit for it. He reported at the week of the game that he was hearing, don't be surprised if the carries are pretty evenly split or if it's a higher number to Keelan Robinson. And, you know, our readership was like, Chip, are you sure? Like, that doesn't sound right. And we're getting the game watching unfold. I lean over to Chip. I'm like, man, I'm, it, it sucks that you were right, but you were right. Yeah, it does because even in the game, it still seemed like Jonathan Brooks is, I don't know, it seems like he is more suited to have success yeah. in the running game. Well, starting next week, we'll talk about those things Texas needs to work on. One thing real quick, Rod, we talked about this last week. Uh, situational football and football like you are two things Sark harped on a lot in the offseason. Mm-hmm. And they're both of those areas, they're better this year. But I think it just shows you the growth that still needs to happen. I think yeah. it just reinforces how bad they were at that stuff last year. Um, yeah, I mean, they still there's still some details here and there, but like you said, it, they were really bad last year. Like they were just a abysmal. Team. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to play the game like some robots. Uh, you know, you be coachable, don't be a robot. You got to go out there and be able to make football plays. And yeah, even you know, Quinn Ewers uh, late in that game, I think it's third down in the red zone for Tech Hill. It might have been third and goal actually. I'm not sure. They have 12 mil on the field and didn't snap. And every everybody's got a quick snap. Everybody's got I don't yeah. know what the call is. Every offense, high school offense, yeah. whatever, has got a quick snap call. Let's just snap it and then, you know, we'll go from there. Um, even if they're you know, everybody else is not aware of the snap count. Even even the center too. Even except saying exact everybody else except the center and the quarterback, the only ones that are aware of it. And the fact that, you know, he just kinda watched the D lineman walk off the field or, you know, I guess he ran off the field, he has still had time to yeah. snap it. And I think he would have been offsides and or, and yep. or a twelve yeah. man on the yep. field, and he didn't snap it, and I couldn't believe he just he was just staring back at the sideline, yeah. And you know it's one of those moments where they could have got a fresh set of downs for sure, and to go in and score, they end up getting a field goal instead. 
that's you know that's that's one of those plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right so, I mean, you saw Sark just, talk to him and uh, Majors right as they were coming off the field, like both of them being like, "Hey, wait, well, how did y'all not see this?" Guys, well, yeah, exactly. Right? No, he be, stopped them both. Be coach, but don't be a robot. I know you're waiting on me on the yeah, sideline yeah. to give you a play. You talking about what Sark stopped him, man? Yeah, yeah I think uh, if that's the play, same play I'm thinking of, I think that was where he ripped into Jake Majors. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, he yeah. did. Like, exactly. Because he's, yeah. he's like, like, I don't care if Quinn's looking over to the side. He'll see the ball coming at him. Yeah, I need you guys. Yeah, oh, it's you a free play. Quinn. I need you to but yell it's at a Quinn. Free, and and it's hey, a Quinn. Free, yeah. But it's a free play. A free Who cares play. if it's a fumble? Now <laughs> I, I, you get it yeah. off. But it, like that, we're being nitpicky, though, and that's the beauty of, I think, this season as opposed to last season. Last season, it wasn't being nitpicky. I mean, we're talking about just overall collapses and meltdowns on defense, on the O-line. This year, or schematically, this year that is not the case. Like I said, we're being nitpicky. That one little play might have given them a chance to score a touchdown there instead of getting the field goal. Yeah. Um, but that's for a first-year quarterback. For yeah, essentially a first-year quarterback. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll say this in closing: they met my expectation. I borrowed it from Aaron Hogan because I was trying to figure out. Okay, I've got an idea of like eight wins. What does that mean? My expectation was make the Baylor game matter. Mm-hmm. If the if the final game of the regular season matters, yeah. then and it did. It so. Did. I met my expectations, but we talk about expectations and the standard, two totally different conversations. Yeah. All right, that's where we'll uh, leave it, and we'll pick it back up next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge, sir. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, AM, 12.60, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.